Hello everyone. God bless you for being here again today. Well, as we start off our session together, this study for um, this day, we'll begin in Genesis chapter 2 and uh, we'll read three verses from there which say, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So there's something very special about this seventh day as we see from these verses. Now we'll keep these verses in mind as we remember that last time we had looked at the tree of life which was found of course in the midst of the Garden of Eden along with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we had seen how the tree of life is directly related to rulership and not the provision of eternal life. And we had seen this tree then being featured again as one of the overcomers promises in the book of Revelation, again in connection with those who will rule during the millennial kingdom. And so clearly then we're seeing that this tree of life has nothing to do with providing life for perpetuity, because those that we would see as overcomers in the book of the Revelation already have that eternal life. But this is a tree that has to do with rulership, rulership on that seventh day, which is so special to God that he sanctified it and he blessed it as he rested from his work. Well, let's begin to try and put some of this together by remembering that God had established the divinely perfect way to restore a ruined creation. Well, remember that there would be six days of work to be followed by a seventh day of rest. And we've also seen that man, God's creation created to rule, had also been ruined through sin and consequently needed to be restored. And in conjunction with the day seen in Genesis chapter one, God through Peter revealed that with respect to restoring ruined man, there would be six 1,000 year days of work to be followed by a seventh 1,000 year day of rest. And we find that in 2 Peter chapter three. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And let me just reiterate this for all of us again today here. Beloved, do not forget this one thing. And the reason we have these thousand year days, well, if we carry on reading in Peter, Second Peter chapter three, it will tell you, because the Lord is long suffering, not wanting for any of us, any of us Christians, and it's always dealing with Christians, um, don't want any of us to be destroyed, but that we should all come to repentance. Now, it is clear from this, of course, that a specific time frame has been set during which God will work on the restoration of mankind. And this has been unalterably set as six thousand years. And then within those six thousand years, individuals from the human race are dealt with by God with a view to their individual restoration. I mean, quite clearly for each one of us as an individual, it doesn't take 6,000 years for this to happen, nor could it because we wouldn't live that long. So you've got for the whole human race then dealt with 
within a 6,000 year period. But individually, that's a different time frame for us. And the way in which individual restoration is to be accomplished, though, is also seen through those original six days of work in Genesis chapter one. Because what we've seen there, I'm sure we'll remember this, is an initial beginning point in this restoration that's pictured in day one in Genesis. And we'll remember day one, Genesis 1, 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Well, that scene on day one here continued to exist throughout the remaining days, but never had to be repeated. However, to bring complete restoration, there had to be a further five days of work. Genesis 1.31, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And I'm sure we can see this quite easily, that it's not until the completion of the sixth day that God used the descriptive phrase, it was very good. And at the end of this sixth day, a man and a woman in a marriage relationship were to have dominion to rule together in that seventh day. Well, the light that came to divide the darkness pictures our eternal salvation. But this is just an initial work, and this is not to trivialise the enormity of what Christ accomplished on the cross for us to make that eternal salvation possible. But from God's perspective, it's only ever an initial work. It is the beginning point for God's restoration process. It is not the end of it. Eternal salvation provides the redemption of our spirit. But as we are a three-part being, redemption is also needed for our soul and our body. And we might remember from 1 Peter 1.9, the scripture tells us, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Well, in other words then, the end result of you and I having faith in the present time, a person then who is already eternally saved is the salvation of the soul at a future time. And let's remember that the spirit and the soul are not and are never to be seen as the same thing. The spirit has been saved and the soul will be saved but not yet. Romans 8.23. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? So what hope have we been saved in? the hope of the adoption, the redemption of our body. And we can't have that yet because it's clearly described as hope and the scripture we've just read tells us that if hope is seen, then it's not hope. We don't see the adoption. We don't see the redemption of the body. 
We don't have it yet, but it is our hope for the future. Well, we'll deal with all of this in more detail later. Um, But for now, let's just remember that the salvation of the soul is essential if we are to be adopted as a firstborn son of God. And with that adoption comes the redemption of the body. And this is not dealing again with eternal salvation. This is for those already eternally saved. And nor does the redemption of the body deal with getting a new body. It's talking about a body that is redeemed by having the glory that was lost by Adam and the woman in the garden again, receiving that glory which was lost. This is how the body is to be redeemed. And that will only happen for those who are adopted as a firstborn son. And only those adopted by a firstborn son will have received the salvation of their soul. And we have seen in a previous study that any human being is to rule with Christ in his millennial kingdom must again be in the image and likeness of God, a redeemed spirit, a redeemed soul and a redeemed body. Now, we all have one of these, each and every one of us today, we have a redeemed spirit, but none of us as yet has a redeemed soul and a redeemed body. How would we know? Because we've still got a sin nature. And again, if you look in the mirror, you may be very beautiful, but you're not shining with glory. All right, well, let's continue then with a verse for a couple of verses from Isaiah chapter 46. Uh, We'll start to bring all of this together. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Well, the verses here from Isaiah are particularly significant for us as we begin to consider this full extent of salvation. As God has made it perfectly clear that he has declared the end of his plans and purposes for man, which will of necessity include salvation from the beginning of his revelation to man. And just to state the obvious, where did God's revelation to man begin? Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. So with this in mind, we'll realise that the term that we know as salvation does not exist in a vacuum, and nor is it some afterthought or means of damage control, but it is rather an integral part of God's ultimate purpose. If we would understand the purpose of God, we will be able to place salvation within that context And this should remove any confusion that we would have surrounding it. And placed within its context, the full scope of our salvation and the purpose for that salvation are plain to see. But remove it from context and the whole doctrine of salvation becomes at best nebulous and at worst distorted. Well, we'll come back to this next time, but only, of course, if the Lord is willing. God bless you for being here today.